I had been a believer, but I had lost some passion and leukemia and the awareness that my life was so frail uh, jump-started a passion in me about the important things, not just the urgent ones. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and joining me in the studio today to tell his story is John Sidema, the president of WorldServe Ministries. I'm glad you've joined us this week. We'll hear a very personal story from John in just a few moments. First Person is here every week at this time, reminding us through conversation and interviews that God is faithfully at work in our lives and to see how powerful it is for Him to instill a new purpose for living in each of us. You can interact with us online on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview or come directly to our website, firstpersoninterview.com for more information or to listen to past interviews. Again, we're found online at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, although I had traveled a bit a few years ago with WorldServe Ministries, I had not met the new president until he came to my studio recently. We began to talk about God's work in his life. Today, I want you to hear John Sidema's story and how the Lord has prepared him for the assignment he now has. I began by asking John to tell me the story of when both he and his wife faced leukemia. My son and I and two dear friends were at the Liberty Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, and on the way home, my wife Sue called on the uh, cell phone and asked me when I would be home. And you know how it is after being married for about 25 years, there's a certain tone in a voice that is not usually there, and I knew something was going on. I said to my friend, we have to get home. And he uh, hit the pedal, and uh, we got home about a half an hour or an hour earlier than anticipated, and I walked in the door, and she was crying, sitting on the couch, And I said, what's the matter? And she said, I have leukemia. And I said, what do you mean you have leukemia? I mean, it wasn't as if I was responding to unidentifiable words. There were no other warning signs or anything? Was that blunt? she She was a nurse working for a doctor, and she had been seeing bruising on her abdomen Um, which she had kept from me for a couple of weeks because she was afraid of what she was going to find. It was New Year's Eve when she uh, got the report from a blood test, and it was New Year's Day when she was checked into the hospital in uh, Dallas. Did she ever come home then? Yeah, she she struggled with the disease for 13 months. She uh, underwent three sets of chemotherapy. Uh, and each set took about a month in the hospital, uh, four cocktails, uh, round the clock. Um, with all the with usual all the side stuff. effects. Yeah. You know. yeah, doctor was just brilliant. He said, okay, on day 11, you're going to lose your hair, and you're going to lose weight, and you're going to have this happen. And he was, uh, he was very precise and very accurate. And she relapsed after every one of those until she had a bone marrow transplant from her brother. And um, that was at about uh, around July 4. And um, she relapsed again in September. And the doctor told me at that point that there was nothing more they could do but experimental evidence that would essentially add to the cumulative knowledge base of leukemia treatment, but it was not going to do anything to save her life. And she died the uh, the following January 31. As horrible as that is, 
there's more to this story, isn't there? Because you yourself, you, you came down with leukemia yourself. Uh, having walked the journey with my wife for about 11 months, I was a pastor in a church in Dallas, and on the um, week end after Thanksgiving Day, Sunday after Thanksgiving Day, I remember becoming very urgent from the pulpit with the congregation saying, look, we, all of us, are mortal. We face issues, and it is so easy for us to be so seduced by this culture of money and wealth and comfort and not to be committed to Jesus Christ. I said, I wonder what it's going to take for us as a congregation to get serious about Christ. The next day, I had a doctor's appointment to find out why I had this unrelenting cold and to pick up a prescription for antibiotics. And my doctor, who was a friend, said, you know, I've been through all your tests, and I think you have a bleeding ulcer. And I said, I don't have a bleeding ulcer. I have no abdominal pain. I don't have any symptoms. He said, yeah, not a whole lot is going to explain these blood counts other than a bleeding ulcer. And I was very impatient and rather rude. I snatched the paperwork out of his hand, and I started paging through the stuff, and I got to the back page, and it said I had 56% blastocytes. Well, every day for seven months, I'd been looking at a whiteboard in my wife's room looking at blood numbers. You and knew. I said to him, I have leukemia. He said, no, you don't. I said, Steve, I have leukemia. Now, Sue is still alive. She's still alive. She's in the hospital. And you get this diagnosis or self-diagnosis. And I get the diagnosis. Yeah. And he says, I, and I was in a different hospital because he was practicing out of a different hospital. He said, I want you to go downstairs. I'm going to check you in. We're going to treat you for bleeding ulcer. And I said, okay. And I was in the waiting room filling out the paperwork when my cell phone rang. And it was Steve, the doctor. And he said, you know, I hate to admit this, but you're right. We've got to call the hematology oncologist. I think you've got leukemia. How could how could this happen? I mean, what what was your reaction, John? Well, it was overwhelming. I mean, you're in the middle of the grief over what your wife is going through at the moment, and here you. You know, I was really I was very upset. I was not upset because I was afraid of dying. I knew I was going to die. You you have those you know, leukemia is a disease that yeah, generally easy, yeah. one in ten survive five years. This kind of leukemia. Um, I was really steamed with the Lord because I thought, look, all I'm trying to do here is be faithful and serve my wife while she's dying. And you just preached that sermon. And I had just preached that sermon, and I thought this is not fair. I've got four kids, three in college, one in high school. Let's help my wife die right in faith. And now this is taken away from me. So I was pretty steamed for for a few days. Which is only natural and part of the process you've heard other people talk about. But when you go through it. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And so I started chemotherapy the next morning. And uh, my wife started visiting me in the hospital when she would come for her daily blood tests and post uh, post bone marrow transplant treatment for autoimmune stuff. And uh, we, we were walking through a fog. We, we were just all of us uh, in this 
bizarre situation. And how did your kids, you said three in college and one in high school, I mean, yeah. that's that's got to be a tough blow to the family. Yeah, yeah it, it was. Um, my oldest daughter immediately quit school, came home. My son uh, showed more wisdom than I thought he had at the moment, and he came to the church and had asked for a private meeting with the elders to ask them if he should stay in school or drop out. He had one semester to go in college. And they said, we think you need to come home. And he quit school with one semester to go because we were by this time quite confident that Sue was going to die imminently. What was uh, your relationship with Sue then when you are diagnosed and she's fighting her own battle? I mean, who had who was holding the other up? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that made me the angriest with the Lord was that I had wanted to be able to be with her. The amazing answer to prayer was he stuck us in two rooms on the same floor in Baylor University Medical Center in the oncology ward. Every morning I woke up and I walked 40 feet down the hall and spent the day with my wife. Had the doctors ever seen anything like that, a husband and wife concurrently going through something like uh, that? It, it may be in the record somewhere, but they couldn't find any evidence of it. And we spent hours on the phone with the CDC in Atlanta, and they could find no yeah, evidence. Yeah, there, there's no evidence that it was contagious or, or contracted one to the other. Uh, yeah, They talk about clusters in a couple places where we lived, and the Oprah show did something about clusters in California. Bizarre uh, twist to the story is that I had done an internship in Modesto, 20 years earlier, and the uh, supervising pastor and his wife, with whom we spent one year, she came down with the same leukemia the same year we did. Hmm. So there were three out of four of us that got that leukemia with no uh, logical explanation. All right. You said you had some pretty honest conversations with the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How did that resolve itself? Well, or, or did it resolve? It, it did. It did. I ended up thanking God for the privilege of allowing me to be with Sue twenty four seven until she died. I learned a lot of lessons you could you could uh, talk about. But I'm sure you could write a book about it. I, I ended up at the end of this journey, acknowledging that I had become like many American Christians, very complacent in my faith. I knew what I believed. Goodness, I was the pastor of the church, right? And therefore, I was the head of the ministry, and therefore, the church was my job, and it had become, in many ways, like my business. But I had, very much like the book of Revelation speaks of, lost my first love. And I'm not proud of this, but it took leukemia to find it again. When you spend about three months on your back... When you are in those kinds of situations and you're lying in a bed 24-7 and they don't want you to have visitors because you're neutropenic and you have nothing with which to fight infection, you begin to examine the why questions of life. What am I here for? What's worth living for? And I tell you what you don't come away with. You don't come away with the value of business meetings. (laughs) You come away with, I'd better be radical for the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only thing life is worth living for. 
We'll continue hearing the story of John Sidema on today's edition of First Person, coming up in a moment. When you join us next week, we'll talk with the producers and members of the cast of the new movie, October Baby, a powerful story of surviving an abortion. Gianna Jensen, whose life inspired the story, as well as two of the cast members and filmmakers John and Andrew Irwin, who wrote, directed, and produced this new film, will be with us. A conversation about the new movie, October Baby, when you join us next week for First Person. talking with John Sinema today on First Person. John is the president of WorldServe Ministries. We'll talk about WorldServe in a few moments, but John, I'm still just, I don't know what I am about this story about your wife passing from leukemia, you coming down with leukemia concurrent with her, you survived, she didn't. Um, What are your feelings about that? You know, Paul says in one of his letters, be thankful in all circumstances. I don't want to trivialize that verse. I think when Paul wrote that verse, he meant things like we went through. Hmm. I don't want to suggest that I jump up and down with glee, but I will tell you, leukemia changed my life for the glory of God. I, I rejoice that I watched my bride go to be with Christ and had great assurance of her faith. I rejoiced to come up off that bed with a renewed zeal. The congregation I served wasn't quite sure whether it was chemo brain or revival. (laughs) And I heard accusations of both. (laughs) But I know it was revival. I had been a believer. I had always believed in How could it not change you? But I had lost some passion and leukemia and the awareness that my life was so frail and I only had so many days to live, uh, jump-started a passion in me about the important things, not just the urgent ones. Boy, that's important for us to hear. I understand that you actually checked out of the hospital long enough to attend Sue's funeral. (laughs) The doctor said I had two hours. He disconnected me from the tubes. I brought, uh, my kids brought a suit, which after losing 63 pounds in a month and a half, uh, hung on me like, uh, like rags. And uh, they put a paper mask over my nose and mouth to do what they could to prevent germs. I ripped it off so we could sing some pretty powerful hymns at her funeral. And then my, uh, my younger brother served as offensive lineman to get me through the crowds back into a car and take me back to isolation. I've never heard a story like that. And that was the hardest day because that day I learned for the first time in my life what depression was like. And that lasted 10 days. Well, again, I, I just cannot imagine what you went through, but joy comes in the morning. Oh, indeed. And uh, tell me about life today. Life today is awesome because I am watching God at work, not only in other people's sufferings, but through sufferings in the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing hope to the hopeless, uh, victory to the crushed, and joy to those who had no joy before. And we're seeing it all over the world. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. I'm, I'm rejoicing the fact that God has given you a wife again. 
Oh, yeah. Tell me about her. I spoke at a conference uh, on business uh, shortly after I got out of the hospital. A dear friend of mine, I'm not sure whether he was throwing me a bone or (laughs) actually trying to use my experience, but he asked me to speak to his um, uh, uh, consulting team, and Carol was in the audience. And a couple weeks later, she invited me out for for, uh, lunch. And I showed up with a Bible thinking it was counseling. (laughs) And her first line was, uh, this is not counseling. And she says, I played with my wedding ring the entire uh, luncheon. You were nervously uh, it, yeah. I didn't realize I was on a date. It was the first one in some 30 years. <laughs> but when that happened, you welcomed that. Well, I, it, it took a while. Um, I, I had to deal with uh, all the things that a widower has to deal with, feeling like you're um, being unfaithful to your wife's memory and sure all that stuff. Tough, and, yeah. But uh, Carol has been the new bride and the new joy for my new life. And she is as passionate about the gospel as I am and as different from my first wife in personality as she is similar in her commitment to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So she's a joy. And you're healthy today. I'm healthy today. I'm no longer even being traced. Uh, John, it's uh, how God has worked in your life and how he's orchestrated your life. Pain, uh, I can't imagine the pain you must have been through physically as well as emotionally to go through what you've gone through. But God has given you that uh, that renewed sense of purpose and uh, relationship with him. Now you serve as president of WorldServe Ministries. And I've been watching WorldServe for a number of years, and I'm, I'm grateful that God has called you to it. Thank you. I am too. You talk about suffering. I mean, you, as president of WorldServe, you see people suffering all over the world, don't you? The the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is so unpopular in places where governments and cultures want to control things because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ bursts dams and overflows the landscape with the fresh water of healing and grace. And you can't control that. Mm-hmm. So the gospel's scary in some parts of the world. And therefore, there's persecution, uh, either official or unofficial or cultural. But it happens all over the place. But I know you well enough to know that you took this job because you feel like not that we have something to give to other parts of the world. We have something to learn from them and something we can do to help them. The Lord Jesus Christ apportions his gifts and resources in the world in interesting ways. We in the West have a lot of resources. Many people on the front lines of the gospel in places like China and India don't have our financial or material resources. What they do have is a very fresh awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to transform. And I think we've become a little bit like I had been pre-leukemia. It had become perfunctory. Yeah. To see God at work in powerful ways is so exciting to the church here. I had a pastor in Vietnam tell me one time that uh, he feels that they have been given a bitter cup to drink from a cup of persecution and suffering. Yeah. But he said, you in the West have been given a sleeping potion in your cup. Oh, that's, that's, what you're t- that's what you're talking that's about. That's well said. Yeah. I I once was meeting with a group of young uh, pastors in China, and I said, how can we pray for you in the West? And I really expected to hear them ask us to pray that they would be able to avoid persecution. Mm -hmm. And, And they quickly said, no, 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 that's not what we want. In fact, we need persecution for the gospel to be powerful. Please pray that we will be faithful when we are persecuted. Isn't that remarkable? I, I was stunned. 
And that's the way I've prayed ever since. I know that you've been in the job a relatively short time Indeed. at WorldServe, but I know you've done some traveling. Talk to me about the heroes that you've met in some of these places. I, I remember a pair of sisters whom I met in what they called a seminary. It was a large room on top of a mountain, which we had to uh, uh, climb by cover of night. We were told to wear dark clothing, and we had to wend our way up a cliffside. And we got in there, and uh, they gave their testimonies. Um, the one sister was 17. The older one was 18. 17, we ended up calling thunder. And 18, we called lightning. Uh, <laughs> it reminds, for, me, reminds me of the gospel. <laughs> indeed. For several <laughs> yeah. reasons. We called her thunder because we could not pronounce her Chinese name. Oh, okay. I'm thinking but, uh, daughters of thunder or something but, like well, that. Well, <laughs> yeah. She, she was the John the Baptist. She laid acts to the root of the culture. She would go into towns and thunder against the sins of the town. And then her sister would follow up with the light of the gospel. And they saw conversions by the hundreds. And then they'd move to the next town. 17 and 18. I, I, I don't even know how to quantify that. That was just such a stunning use by the Holy Spirit of two young girls, neither of whom was taller than four foot five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were mighty, mighty daughters of the king. Boy, I would love to meet them someday. Yeah, uh, You've served as a pastor. Um, you know what churches are like in the West, in America. What are, we, what are we missing now that you've been out in the world and seen God at work in the world? What are we missing? I... I I think because we live in such a commercialized culture, we run the risk of turning the gospel into another brand, another commercial purchase that we make. We think we have the right to insist on a certain flavor, so we fight over worship music, we fight over worship style, we even fight over worship clothing. Those aren't the issues, are they? And, and we lose the desperate need of a dying people for life-giving water, and we lose the passion of why we are called to live life for Jesus Christ. And I think we need a wake-up call desperately. Do you have a verse of Scripture that kind of summarizes your life and all you've been through? Oh, I love Paul's uh, statement, when I am weak, then I am strong. His, his letter, I think it's to the Corinthians, where he talked about his own thorn in the flesh and his own inability to control whatever that was and how God used that to bring power to his ministry. Now, that certainly is true in my own life. And I think that's exactly the point in China and in India. And uh, it gives me great joy to know that God works upside down. Today, John Sinema is the president and CEO of WorldServe Ministries, focusing on church leadership, church planning, pastoral encouragement, and compassion ministries in countries like China and Cuba, India, and more. If you'd like to learn more about WorldServe, you'll find a link on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Another reason to visit us online is to go back through the archive and listen to previous interviews in this First Person series. You can select from dozens of interviews at firstpersoninterview.com. Plus, you can check the schedule for upcoming guests. Once again, firstpersoninterview.com. And you can interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. 
Next week at this time, several guests will join us as we interview members of the cast of the new movie, October Baby, which releases in theaters next weekend. You'll meet the brothers behind the movie and even the woman who first inspired the story. October Baby next week here on First Person. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next week at the same time for First Person. First Person.